Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself. Broaden your mind. Open your heart and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is wonderful to be with you again this Wednesday. And I have been thinking for a while that there's so many changes going on in the world, people in flux, uh, sometimes feeling like chaos, and yet it can be business as usual often. We might change the way we work. We might change uh, where we are working. Uh, But are we changing how we are working? So I decided to have a wonderful guest on that is going to talk a little bit uh, about what it means to have a workplace culture change. And her name is Judy Ryan, and she is an author of a book titled Just That. Uh, she came into her own liberation by asking a few certain questions. How can we shift our civilization process so rather than diminish people and demean the human spirit, each person is assisted in expanding into their own wholeness? She also asked herself, what can we do to create a world in which it feels safe to be powerfully influential, inventive, vulnerable, and collaborative? And finally, what does an organization look like in which people thrive rather than simply survive? Oh, there's one more. How do we avoid that which makes us feel and act like victims and rebels and adopt that which makes us feel empowered, lovable, connected, and contributing. Well, there's no more important time than right now to really look at these questions. The world has shifted drastically since COVID, and we are learning to work in different ways. Companies have uh, shifted where their people are working, and it is a time now to really value people over profit. And when we do that, it does create more productivity. Judy Ryan is a CEO of LifeWork Systems and a recognized thought leader on applied behavioral science that impacts deep culture change for exceptional outcomes. She's a consultant, author, columnist, trainer, keynote speaker, and is frequently interviewed on television, radio, and podcasts. Since 2002, Judy has been leading innovation methods to favorably impact the most important aspect of any organization, which are its people. She has created a digital scalable culture transformation system and implementation framework. Judy's purpose is to create a world in which all people love their lives. And you can find out more about her at lifeworksystems.com. Without further ado, welcome Judy to 1111 Talk Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Simran. I'm super excited to be here. I love that you're all about opening the heart and expanding the mind and how we can be working sort of in tandem with our calling, with our purpose, with our guidance, all of it. So I really, you know, that component of even bringing our spiritual, you know, uh, pathway to what we're doing. And you're absolutely right. This couldn't be a, a better time than to be looking at our human systems and not only in the workplaces, but in our homes and in our schools. And so I'm really, really happy to be here. Well, I I definitely saw that through reading your book, uh, you come from that place of of 
letting people know how important self-responsibility is and self-realization and really looking at things from that emotional landscape as well as that logical and practical landscape. And your book truly is an introduction to uh, different sets of systems that that really do support and nurture that so that people are fully engaged and people are socially interested. Um, I love the questions that you initially asked in your of yourself. And I think the best place to start today is to really first have an overview of what our current dilemma is in whether it's small business or whether it's large corporation. What are we really looking at prior to COVID and during COVID so that we understand where we need to go from here? Yeah, it's really funny because some of the most difficult things that we face are helping people to understand what they don't know that they don't know around, especially around human systems. So in organizations, I mean, today's, uh, one of today's modern, you know, well-known figures is Brene Brown, right? She speaks on shame and vulnerability and how if we don't get this part right, we're going to have these ongoing problems. Well, that's really what's at the basis of our work is an understanding based on the work of Alfred Adler as to what causes us to go into these uninterrupted struggles, both internally and externally with, with others. And so what happened for me was I was introduced to a concept that is not conventional as early as in the mid-80s. And I completely saw the, the relevance of it, not only for my own life, but for what's going on around me. And I've kind of always had this feeling that I was building upon that for some future date in which it would be needed. And it's just, it's just so happening that what's happening with globalization and diversity and inclusion and, uh, you know, speed of change and complexity is leading some of the most progressive thinkers to this same type of a model, which is really about understanding what brings the the greatest potential from each individual person. And, And so what I see as being the biggest blind spot, and this is, we, we call this spitting in the soup. The biggest blind spot is that people don't recognize that some of the practices that begin in families and in schools and then continue in workplaces and churches and all kinds of things are the core reason why we get off track in the first place. So it's real fundamental things like helping uh, people to appreciate that they have personal power and how to use that power responsibly and in community where they take good care of themselves and they take good care of one another. And that's that's really the first place we begin is what is it that causes us to go into feelings of inferiority versus feelings of I, I can do a lot and I want to be in service with what I can, you know, how I can use my power. Well, it only makes sense that if we as individuals are a composite of our patterns, beliefs, behaviors, wounds, uh, and the psyche that we we bring to our everyday life, that when we show up in an environment uh, and based on the law of attraction, we attract to us the environment that is going to help amplify both those and our gifts, skills, and talents, that even environments, cultures, businesses have their own operating set of patterns, beliefs, behaviors, wounds, and areas that are the gift, skill, and talent. And so it's almost like taking a business and looking at it as a living organism 
but then going back in the way that we do with the human body and making sure that we're maintaining the health of each and every cell, organ, and structure within that body. Yes, and I I think there are some real core beliefs and practices that uh, are so core that I don't think people consider questioning them. Uh, One of my favorite quotes is by a man named Samuel Armisman. He's an author, and it's on change blindness. And he says, we have a problem with change blindness for two primary reasons. Sometimes we're exposed to new facts, so we're learning about some new ways of operating as people, and yet we don't want to go out of our way to change because, you know, it just is effort. And then the other one, which I think is even more significant, is that we don't want to consider that what we've been thinking could be outdated. We have no problem upgrading our cell phones or our computers, but when it comes to looking at the way that we function as humans and our our beliefs about relationships and how to develop people, we don't like to consider that that's outdated. And and there's almost even a, a sense of personal identity crisis for many leaders. So if we could just overcome that and look at that um, through the lens of wow, we get to upgrade, we get to we get to improve upon the way that we're functioning in our most basic human uh, practices with each other. That topic of change is really important because, uh, as we've seen this year, we can be catapulted into change and <laughs> have to figure out whether we're going to sink or swim. So when you're looking at a culture, when you're looking at an organization, how do you assess a culture and what do you look for? Well, part of it is uh, one of the things we look for are leaders that have positive, you know, strong, positive egos. In other words, uh, leaders that are really strong in their sense of self and they are not struggling with a sense of worthlessness, they're not threatened by developing other leaders or, develop, you know, helping to strengthen people. So that's one of the things we look for. But as they assess their organization, they're more likely to consider some of the things that are right in front of them, like our asset of, the, of our people. You mentioned in the, in the first part of your, you know, when you introduced me that uh, purpose should come first and, and not profit. And we always say if you put people in purpose first, profit follows organically. So part of the way to assess an organization is to be very honest about what's working, what's not working. Are we getting mediocre results? Are we, um, are there advances that we should be considering? Are we open-minded enough to explore them? Are we confident enough to try on things that might be highly unconventional? So when we, when we help an organization, we're also making sure that they're ready for change, that they're uh, aware of what's going on in the world and what needs to change. It's really interesting because one of my own instructors was a former mayor, and, and everything we do applies in, in the work world, but it also applies in, we've done a ton of school reform and, you know, community work and things like that, nonprofits. And she said, you need to go in and fix the police departments. And I said, Terry, we don't do that. <laughs> we go in and we don't approach it as who's to blame. We go in and we say, what system, if it were put in place, would solve this problem? And then we involve all the stakeholders. So when we're helping an organization assess their problems, they have to have a certain level of I'm willing to look at what's working, what's not working, what it's costing us, 
And then what, what are the available solutions out there so that we can determine, you know, which solution we would need if we agree that we need to change. So that's part of it. We do a lot of very formal assessments through, uh, you know, really looking at all their culture practices and also what are the challenges that they can identify all at once and what are the desired leadership skills that an organization wants. And that's kind of an eye-opener. So when somebody is doing a culture assessment and they're asked, the first question is, we have a culture, a written culture plan. There's a lot of people out there that see that question and say, I didn't even know I was supposed to have a written culture plan. So that's one way. And then we also go in and help organizations to look at things like, do our people know our purpose, our values, our visions, our goals, procedures, and roles? Do they even know them and understand them? And do they buy into them? Do we have high trust? Do we have, you know, people practicing certain behaviors of trust? And do we have a high perception of employee engagement with one another? And sometimes that's a huge eye-opener. So, so it's just like anything. If you're, not, if you're in denial, you're not going to be able to assess your workplace culture. But if you're curious and eager and open, um, you're going to learn a lot. And you're going to be led to solutions that will, you know, have been proven recently to work so well. It, it seems that the leadership team has to be in a state of invitation to the people that work with them and an invitation to truly know the company, to truly understand the mission, to truly align with the vision, uh, for, for there to be a cohesiveness and everyone kind of buy into that idea and feel like part of the team. How does a leadership a team or a CEO really create that sense of invitation and engagement and connection in an organization when there wasn't one? I would say the most important thing that we see either creates success or, or doesn't is a, a leadership team that understands that they're not separate from their organization. I know that sounds like a given, but it's not. There are a lot of senior leaders who in, like intentionally keep themselves separate. In fact, it was really interesting. We were, we have uh, had a, a project one time that was highly successful and uh, just real high functioning. And one of the mid-level managers was promoted. And in a session I had with her, she said, well, now I guess I can't go to lunch with my friend, you know, my best friend. And I said, did you forget we're in a completely different kind of culture <laughs> where you don't have to have that artificial separation as long as you know what your role is as a senior leader, see, in the old model, you couldn't be a boss and be a friend. It's kind of like people think about parenting, be a parent, not a friend. Well, if you're using the kind of old school control models, you can't be a friend with people who are going to use domination and uh, up, up, down, power over, you know, I know more than you know. But in uh, a really healthy workplace environment, the senior team does not artificially separate themselves. So that's kind of one of the most, because they could know all those things that you mentioned, like they could know the purpose and values and they could talk about them. But if they have a whole different set of standards for what they do and how they allow others to do that with them, that's what I see as one of the bigger problems. 
Motivated, successful, and contributing. That's what you need your staff to be to achieve your goals and provide quality service to the clients you serve. The world is changing. Systems must evolve to support these changes or you fall behind. Without healthy human systems and measures to assess them, your tools and strategies fall short. Human systems are simply structures you put in place to communicate your expectations for how people need to think, speak, and behave in order to fulfill your organization's stated purpose. This is from Judy Ryan's book, Workplace Culture Change. You can find out more about her at lifeworksystems.com. She schedules corporate events on bridging globalization, diversity, and technology with emotional intelligence. And another workshop, which is Are My People Being Responsible Even When No One's Watching? She also has programs for individuals who want to develop personally and professionally called Should I Stay or Should I Go? which is about identifying any relationship in which you can determine if it's okay to step away or stop trying and when to learn new skills and to make a relationship work. All of the above uh, events that I've listed are free, virtual, and two hours in length. And anyone attending must agree to fill out either a culture survey for the corporate topics or a personal one. There's plenty of time allotted for the participation, and there's a limited seating for the first 10 people. You can find out more about that at LifeWorkSystems.com. In addition, the new issue of 1111 Magazine will be releasing this week. I invite you to check it out and go back and check out the archives as well. We also have a new online course community at 1111 Magazine. It is the 1111 Mastermind Playground. It is filled with some of my amazing past guests and some programs that they have created to support you in expanding your personal power, presence, and purpose. We'll be right back after these messages with more Judy Ryan and Workplace Culture Change. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Do you want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go and chart a new course, dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. 
Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Before we dive back into our guest today, I just want to invite you to go back and listen to any of the archives on 1111 Talk Radio. The information is timeless. There are beautiful change agents and life catalysts. Uh, over the past decade that I've had shows, and any of the shows will powerfully impact you. Also, go to my website, IamSimran.com. I have uh, all of my books there, as well as some additional courses that I have created, and I have launched some new artwork, and I'm really excited about this new endeavor that I am embarking upon, where my soul is truly expressing um, some innermost sentiments that I'd love to share with you. So check me out at IamSimran.com. Judy Ryan is CEO of LifeWork Systems and the author of What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change? That's What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change? She's a recognized thought leader and on applied behavioral science that impacts deep culture change for exceptional outcomes. You can find out more about her and the different events that she hosts at LifeWorkSystems.com. Change requires we let down our guard. Many people do not like the feelings they have when they look closely at relationships or habits that need changing or improvement. Change requires we spend precious time. Change also requires strong intrinsic motivation. When change engages a person's sense of meaningfulness, sense of choice, sense of competency, and sense of progress, they are more likely to embrace positive change. Change also requires faith rather than hope. And most of all, change requires we build a capacity for it. An essential aspect of capacity building should be to increase your staff's ability to cope with change and to use an integrated and holistic approach rather than the traditional outmoded ways of using control to address problems and organizational change. This is from Judy Ryan's book, What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change? Welcome back, Judy. Uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about the issue of trust. I find that uh, oftentimes one of the biggest barriers for cohesiveness and communication and productivity in in businesses and companies uh, depends on the level of trust that people feel between each other in the organization or the trust that they have on the leadership that is running that organization. Would you talk a little bit about the importance of trust and the eight values that build that trust? Absolutely. And and I would add to the, the trust component, do we have trust in ourselves? And so much of what has happened to us, even well-intended, 
erodes our trust in ourselves. But to speak on the eight values of trust is one of my favorite topics because in our model, trustworthiness between people is the foundation. We have even have a picture of a little house and it's the foundation. And most people don't really know what what, you know, comprises trustworthiness and they don't know when they're doing it and when they're not doing it. And so, um, like a lot of us, we've been taught how to be in kind of a fake community. Which we call it pseudo community where we're just pretending everything's okay and we're not really being very open and it's, it's very safe, but it's very boring. And then we get into where we finally realize that there are some differences with each other. And rather than practice trust with each other, we start to do uh, these power struggles where it's, I'm right, you're wrong, Um, I'm good, you're bad, my job is to fix you, convert you, heal you, and change you. And that that never works. Like, if you look uh, about two seconds on social media, you can see that happening all over the place. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, that's the basis of every war, it's the basis of every ism. So, how do we get out of that? Well, the eight values that build trust are not involved in either of those two types of dynamics. When we start to build trust with people, the first thing we have to do is we have to put down all of those ways that we try to uh, hold on to this notion that we have, we're supposed to fix you, convert you, heal you, or change you, which means we have to let go of a lot of prejudices, a lot of ideas of I have to win. You know, there's just so much that we need to empty ourselves of. And the four four of the eight values that we practice when we're in that state of mind is we become open and disclosing, but not with the agenda to persuade or change someone. Um, we become receptive to what other people are sharing. We show deep respect that this is a completely separate human being that is not me. And I get to see them as worthy in their own right. And they, they do the same for me. And we start recognizing our differences from a place of curiosity and appreciation. And instead of that's right, that's wrong and that's bad and that needs to be changed. What happens is that people have to get comfortable with that stage where you're not trying to change anything and you're not even offering solutions and to many of us who are so impatient, that feels like a waste of time. But it, but it really is an important step to get to the other four values that build trust, where all of a sudden productivity becomes, it just goes off the chart. So once people know that you respect them and you recognize them and, and you're going to be open with them and there's no uh, you know pressure to change each other, no judgment that something bad is in the space, then you can start having very real conversations that are super straightforward where you can ask for what you want and you can speak what you expect. And there's just this deep sense of caring. So it comes across well and it feels safe. You can also be um, more honest with each other. You can also be really seeking a high level of excellence with each other. And that means things like, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so do you. And if you don't, we have a conversation about it. And that's where you get a lot done because when any of those eight behaviors are broken, and I'll just say them all in a row, uh, being honest, being straightforward, being receptive, offering recognition, showing respect, uh, following through on commitments, seeking excellence, and disclosing, and they're in no particular order, when all of those are occurring, 
you are phenomenally productive. We see in the organizations that really adopt not only that these, but other concepts and then how to live them out, the engagement levels just are insane and all the barriers just seem to dissolve. Even the barriers that we typically think of in diversity and inclusion conversations. So what I like about it is that when people begin to understand those values, they can actually look at a relationship and say, oh, I can see which one of these are broken and which ones I'm breaking. And now I have tools I can apply to fix them. And now I can take a relationship that is struggling and I can make it sound again. So I hope that is kind of what you were asking about. Yeah, and what I got as you were sharing that, Judy, in the beginning of the show, you talked a lot about uh, how you know people come from their family dynamic and then they move into the business arena. And the things you were speaking about in regard to feeling, fixing, healing, and changing, that's all codependence. And by yeah. building these factors of trust, people are moving into more independence and then ultimately the organization or the business can work interdependently, which really is more of a healthy environment rather than one that is... Um, impacted by unhealthy, uh, improper boundaries and connections that are going on. So it really is very similar to our own personal growth and very much a spiritual approach to business. So there is a sense of spirituality in business, although it's probably never been really addressed as as that in the business and corporate world. (laughs) There's not a not openness to talk about it, but in my heart of hearts, I say I'm teaching practical applications of love. And, and, And also, you know, when I'm listening to what you're saying about trust, we can't expect people to be anything but codependent when we use a lot of domination with them, it defeats their own uh, belief in their power, their own belief in their goodness. When we're controlling people, we're holding very fearful, limiting beliefs about them. You you know, you can't be trusted. I have to please you. Uh, You'd be basically selfish if I didn't dangle a carrot. Um, I I know better than you, so I'm going to praise you either as positive or negative, which means I'm above you. I'm going to pamper you and spoil you because I don't have faith in you. Like all of those things are very degrading to our mm. sense of um, the ability to be self-motivating and to be even to believe we could manage trust and our, mo- you know, all kinds of things. So th- mm. that's kind of where it starts. That's that? quite powerful. You have a quote in the book from one of my absolute favorite authors, Paul Farini. The choice between love and fear is made every moment in our hearts and minds. That is where the peace process begins. Without peace within, peace in the world is an empty wish. Like love, peace is extended. It cannot be brought from the world to the heart. It must be brought from each heart to another and thus to all mankind. And so when you talk about that dominance and domination that takes place there, that really is grounded in fear. It is not an act of love. Um, and it, it impacts in a negative way to the people around you. Within the book, you talk a bit, and you have a question, are you controlling or developing your staff? And there are four approaches that you discuss within the, the book. Would you talk a little bit about each each one of those? Yeah, I actually just kind of went over them, but I'll just be a little bit more specific about it. The four control approaches are, one is being autocratic, where we believe that people can't be trusted, 
and the goal is to manage them. So we actually think when we have that title manager, we're supposed to manage people. We're really not. I, I, I don't even know that I like that title because when you see yourself managing, you're not developing. Um, that's a more obvious one that a lot of organizations are questioning now. But what they do instead is they start switching over to using incentives and rewards, which is equally a control model because you're holding the belief that I have to dangle something in front of you or you're going to just kind of be selfish and lazy. And the, and the accountability is all about just jump through my hoop. And so a lot of people, there's, they don't realize that the research shows that when people are using incentives and rewards, the recipient of that, they become less committed to the very things you want them to be committed to. And and so all of these things are breaking down that faith that Paul Farini talked, you know, that we, can, we can't come from love when we're coming from fear. By the way, I appreciate you knowing who he is because I love his book. Um, but the third one is, it's a real subtle one and it's real tempting to do because most of us don't feel so great about ourselves. So it's kind of a way we can puff up and it's using judgment. Even if the judgment is, I'm so proud of you or go make me, go make me proud. Or if the judgment is, um, you, I'm so disappointed in you. Because what you're really saying is, I know better than you do, and your job is to please me, which is very different than encouragement. Praise or criticism is very different than encouragement and guidance. And then another one that is hard to recognize is when we enable people through pampering and spoiling them, where we don't have faith in them, we don't want to spend our time helping them to learn things. Like I remember when my five kids were little, we would run, we would do family meetings together. And by the time they were four and five years old, they knew how to run the family meeting. Well, I could have pampered them and said, let me just do it for you because I'm bigger, stronger, faster. (laughs) And as a dominant mother, I would have loved to continue steamrolling, right? But that would have been a form of pampering and spoiling because it would rob them of what they were capable of. And we do this all the time in workplace. And we don't recognize it. It's so subtle. So those are all extrinsic motivators, which means that we're motivating people from the outside in, which weakens their internal motivation. If I can get people to understand that and the fact that that all contributes to an activated inferiority complex, which leads to every kind of problem you can imagine, every kind of disengagement and shutdown, that's a huge win. (laughs) that's why we start there because if we don't spit in that soup, we can put all kinds of new tools and ideas on top of that. And it's just garbage because it's still running on that underlying dominating, uh, uh, dehumanizing, disrespectful way of seeing people. Mm, I don't know if this is just a, a business and organization and culture change book, Judy. It might now become a parenting book. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, because I learned it learned in psychology in the parenting world. And we did massive school reform projects where we worked with parents, teachers, school administrators, uh, the students themselves, and a community of neighbors. And it was unbelievable. We worked in the most at-risk schools uh, to help more kids stay in school and graduate. And right now we have a proposal on the table to build a bear to do build a healthy family, build a healthy school where those same stakeholders in the community can all learn these skills simultaneously. So you're right. We do good human systems apply everywhere. When we, when we teach this in workplaces, people report that this is helping them with their kids. When we teach this in education and family, they say this is helping me at work. 
So what's interesting yeah, about the workplace is that all of today's trends are almost requiring that we change our culture because people cannot keep up if the culture doesn't support a fully expanded human in each mm-hmm. role. And ultimately, everything boils down to relationship. Create authentic community. Connection is to humans what water is to fish, a key to our existence and a cornerstone for our behavior. We are social beings, and from infancy, we make decisions and set goals in response to our social framework. In community, we make interpretations, then decisions about ourselves, about men, women, life, and more. And we adopt beliefs and strategies based on these decisions. This is from Judy Ryan's book, What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change? I invite you to check out her website, lifeworksystems.com, to pick up her book, whether you are the CEO of a company, uh, an organization, a small business, or a family. This will certainly bring you some principles and some ideas that will help you in terms of establishing the type of culture that can be co-creative and positive. Again, you can find out more about her at lifeworksystems.com. We'll be right back after these messages. want more more joy more abundance more power and presence how would it feel to have more loving relationships more empowered community greater fulfillment and life purpose the 1111 mastermind community inspires empowers guides and supports transformation shift your mind expand your heart deepen insights let go and chart a new course dream a new dream The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 Gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. 
Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Once, uh, once more, I would love to mention 1111 Mastermind Playground. There are some beautiful courses there by some of the past alumni on 1111 Talk Radio and 1111 Magazine. There's a beautiful course on forgiveness by Patrick Paul Garlinger, a wonderful course on living authentically by Andrea Matthews. And if you've ever wanted to learn about astrology, uh, there are the Foundations course by Jennifer Gell on astrology, along with many more things like human design, relationships, and so much more. So definitely go to the website 1111mag.com and check out some of the beautiful courses that are there. You can also uh, select the uh, complete pass where you uh, purchase the subscription and you get full access to all of the courses there. With that, it is a truly powerful place to access these amazing individuals that are doing great work in the world. Teamwork does make the dream work. Most people understand significant accomplishments occur through teamwork, and yet few organizations get the results from their teams that they expect. Whether it is a frontline team in operations or a boardroom meeting, getting into alignment as a team is often 90% of the challenge when it comes to a new product, fulfilling a client's need, or even a company's strategy. Lack of alignment as a team can be a highly debilitating and costly problem. You and your employees need to know the difference between a team and a working group. They are not the same. This is from the book, What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change by Judy Ryan. She is a CEO of LifeWork Systems and a recognized thought leader on applied behavioral science, which impacts deep culture change for exceptional outcomes. She's a consultant, author, columnist, trainer, and keynote speaker, frequently interviewed, and she impacts the most important aspects of any organization. It's people. You can find out more about her at lifeworksystems.com and also some of the events that she hosts that are free and virtual. Uh, She does corporate events on bridging globalization, diversity and technology with emotional intelligence, and also are my people being responsible even when no one's watching. There are also individual uh, workshops and things that you can access, uh, some of which are titled, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, And uh, you can find out more about these at LifeWorkSystems.com. Welcome back, Judy. Let's talk a little bit about that difference between teamwork and a working group. They are not the same. So what are the distinctions? Well, it's it's interesting because we all know we do need teamwork. I mean, at, at the crux of everything, it's not only teamwork, but in today's world, cross-functional teamwork, where we can work together at all different levels in an organization to create solutions and systems and to be in a position to pivot, you know, pivot quickly to the market that's changing. But what I think is so interesting about team versus working group is a team is not just a group of people all trying to accomplish a goal together. That's what most people would describe a team as. A team is one in which you're doing that, but you're also looking around at your other team members and you're absolutely making sure that everyone is being wildly successful in their part on the team. And what happens instead is most organizations are, you know, operating from a background of competition and criticism and and judgment and all these things that create 
us not being supportive, not being encouraging. And so when we make a commitment to help each other be wildly successful, it has a whole different feeling to it. I was listening to something on Facebook about a guy who was in a very important, I don't know if it was Olympic race or whatever, and the guy in front of him got mixed up about whether he had already crossed the finish line. And the guy behind him was like, go, go, you haven't finished, you know. And people were saying, well, why didn't you just pass him up and beat him, you know. And he said, why would I want to win like that? You know, and that's what we don't remember a lot of the time when we're in our workplace culture. It's almost as if being there for each other is a nice to have, but not a need to have. And I would say it's the most important thing to have is to have each other's back, is to make sure that we call it having a 10 with other people. So when we say that trustworthiness is foundational, if I look through my workplace and I see, oh, this person, I'm not at a 10 with them, then my responsibility above everything else is to work through what is ever, you know, unresolved. Doesn't mean I have to be best friends with that person, but it means that I don't want to leave anything unresolved because it's going to interfere with that person's success on the team and my success on the team. And so um, hopefully that can kind of, I know when I first learned the difference between a team and a working group, I really had to look at myself because I was a person who, wanted to be the superstar, you know, and it, it actually is much more fulfilling for me to make sure everybody feels like a superstar. Mm, that's, that's quite powerful. And it, it takes me back to the beginning part of the reading that I opened with having to do with alignment. Uh, we think about alignment and personal growth and our spiritual growth. Um, and we think about aligning with certain people and certain causes. But when you're talking about alignment within an organization, Um, It seems like that is multi-leveled, almost like uh, one of those set of dolls within dolls that you keep opening up, that that alignment has to be in the individual and then in the team and then in the larger group and then throughout the company. Talk a little bit about alignment. Well, I am so grateful for the question because in our world, alignment is always with high purpose. And high purpose is not what, like... (laughs) Companies a lot of times think purpose is like, oh, we save dogs. You know, that's more of a vision. Purpose is what are we causing everyone, including ourselves, especially when we're at our best. So one of the things we do to help people be aligned is we make sure that the organizational purpose is one in which everybody's included and everybody can picture what you're causing. Like ours is to cause a world where people love their lives. That means I'm causing that for myself so that I can cause that for everyone. And what we also do is help each individual employee go through that process of identifying their purpose and their values. The values are always what behaviors help me live that purpose. So so when we do an 18-month process, a culture transformation process, in month four, we help everybody determine their purpose, values, vision, goals, procedures, and roles, and it's called a blueprint. We get more pushback in that month than any other month. And we didn't know that at first until we did it over and over again. And it's kind of like Marianne Williamson's quote of our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. And so what I see is that when people get in touch with their purpose, they're afraid it's too lofty. They're afraid that they're not worthy to hold it. They're afraid they're going to fail at it. I remember one man, his alignment, he was one of the owners. He goes, man, if I, if I 
if I see this right, I'm supposed to be causing greatness. And I go, absolutely. I see you doing it all over the place. And he goes, I can't cause greatness. That's what the Dalai Lama does. <laughs> I said, who said you can't be like the Dalai Lama? So I ended up writing an article on that. Who says you can't be like the Dalai Lama? But literally for a couple of years, he could only say, I observe greatness, which is a whole different level of responsibility than I cause greatness. Mm-hmm. And, and part of it was that he was really afraid so what's nice about purpose is when you have purpose, you can ask your people, how's this, how does this fit with us creating a world where people love their lives? Or how's this working with your purpose to, uh, for inspiration, transformation, and laughter? Somebody's enraged, you know, for example. Um, so alignment is something that we need, but when we get into that month, people say, what does this have to do with work? This is stupid. I don't get it, you know, because it scares them. And that fear is such a, a, a place sometimes where true change will happen. That can be the place where motivation can step in and we do catapult ourselves. Uh, it, it does require that belief, like with the gentleman that you just spoke of. In your book, you talk about four intrinsic motivators, and it seems like those would be most important in those moments of fear where we're, we're about to step into a greater expression of ourselves. Yes, yes. When, when we talk about the control models, we're really talking about four extrinsic motivators to dismantle. And then we teach, so what do you replace them with? Well, you, it's a lot of things, but one of them is these four intrinsic motivators. And the first one is sense of meaningfulness. Well, you can't get more meaningful than your highest purpose. That's one of the places you do sense of meaningfulness. But you also do it around this task. Like somebody might be doing a really mundane task. And when you talk to them about what is the meaningfulness of this, they may not know until they think it through. Oh, because I process these mortgage things, more people get homes, for example. And if we don't spend any time on helping them see the meaningfulness, we could teach them all the competency in the world, and they're still not going to feel engaged in what they're doing. So meaningfulness is the very first internal motivator. The second one is having choice. So a lot of times we just um, order people around and tell them how to do things. We don't really open the door for them to be participating. That's why with my kids, when we did family meetings, we rotated the leadership of the meetings and we helped them to learn how to problem solve. It was because it's internally motivating for them to have choice and, and have a voice. Then we introduce the intrinsic motivator of competency. So you hear about people going into a job and maybe they're not trained well. And so they don't feel very motivated because they don't feel very competent. And then the fourth intrinsic motivator, which is the one I had to work the hardest on, is celebrating progress. I remember one time we won this big multi-year you know, year school reform project and I had created this vision board on it and it, it, and it even had a, a bubble coming out of my mouth saying, hey, everybody, something big is happening, you know, and it was happening. And I wanted to jump right in, and my team said, could we just stop and celebrate the fact that we just won this huge thing? So even something as simple as celebrating progress can be overlooked, and yet it will burn us out if we don't Mm. spend time with that. Yes, acknowledgement and celebration is a huge piece, both personally and professionally, that everyone needs to engage in. We only have a few minutes left in the show, and I'd love to talk about the role of chaos inside of businesses and how uh, a business can actually benefit from that when it does show up. I know right now a lot of places in our world feel like chaos for many people, and their worlds have been turned upside down. So how do you see chaos 
uh, as a way that might possibly benefit businesses towards change? Well, there's a phrase called the K-ORD, which is uh, chaos, you know, uh, ordered chaos, where you take a chaotic occurrence and you learn how to have a centered position within that chaos. And that's really, like right now, if you study agility, which is a very big trend right now, it's all about organizing chaos, and it's all about creating strong teams that can simultaneously build portions of a project, test them, and rebuild if necessary. So they're working within uh, within chaos. Chaos is not necessarily the enemy unless we are in a weakened state to deal with what's in front of us. And so when we feel very strongly that we're supported and we're empowered and we feel lovable and we feel connected and we feel that our contribution matters and there's nothing holding us back, we can actually see a chaotic thing that's going on and we can galvanize around solutions. You can see right now in the world, we have a lot of unhealthy chaos, but you also can recognize various players that are extremely influential and from a loving place that look at chaos as the opportunity to grow and evolve. So it it all comes down to, are we creating the conditions and conversations in which people can use that chaos as a catapult to growth and to innovation and resiliency? Or do we use that chaos to sink into despair and into um, all those battles, internal and external? A great question to contemplate and ask yourself. A great leader is one who creates other leaders and who, at the end of the day, has a team of employees who think and feel, I did it, and we did it. You expect greatness and are consistent in helping each develop skills and achieve their successful outcomes. You become wise counsel coaching and supporting them to develop their motivation and initiative. This is a much tougher job and requires you have faith in their goodness and want them to enjoy the ownership of their role and responsibilities. And the payoff is tenfold. You are now the boss you always imagined, and they become the employees you always dreamed of leading. This is from Judy Ryan's book, What's the Deal with Workplace Culture Change? I invite you to pick up your copy and to visit her website, lifeworksystems.com, and get to know more about her and the things that she does. Next week, my guest is Tina Gilbertson, and we are going to be discussing reconnecting with the estranged adult child. That is a difficult experience when you are not connected with your children and here is an opportunity to learn how to heal that and to grow through it until then i am simran in love of love with love and as love be well thank you for opening your mind to a new reality your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 talk radio Join host Simron next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.